Yeah, my kids are getting older. So Brad now has grandkids, but for a like pretty big swath of your time as a parent, your kids are like no longer cute. So you have all these pictures that you post on Facebook, and everybody loves mm -hmm. them for a while, and then your kids hit about like nine, <laughs> and those those uh, those likes tank. But I still think my kids are really cute. Mm -hmm. um, they're at that age now where they're kind of in between. So we went to. Um, a mural festival a few weeks ago, and everywhere we went, everyone thought Adeline, my 12-year-old, was much, much older. They were offering her jobs and inviting her <laughs> when, awesome. uh, at Philbrook, uh, the Philbrook booth, um, the museum has teen nights, and the lady was trying to invite Adeline to teen night, and she said, if you're still a teenager... You know, Adeline's still 12, so she was, like, very proud of herself. <laughs> but it's that awkward time where then we went to dinner that night, and the um, the server asked her if she wanted crayons. So it's like, you oh. bring brought up high. Oh, oh, oh. It's that ascent <laughs> and then brought down low. So, Ouch. So, yeah, it's kind of that awkward time for my kids. Mm. Brad, go for it. Well, I have – I know, I know. I'll, I'll put I'll, – just to be nice and to be – giving to everyone else, I'll say arguably the two cutest grandchildren in the entire world. Now, I know there are other people who think theirs are, but, you know, it's okay to be wrong. I'm on your side. I don't have grandkids yet, um, so I can say, I'm yes, just, Brad, yours are the cutest. I'm, just, I'm on your side, too. <laughs> it's not a competition, but if it was, I would win. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, my granddaughters, our granddaughters, are four and two, and I got to FaceTime with them this morning as they were driving to school. And uh, the older one, whose name is Thea, is a little prone to being dramatic. And I said, so Thea, how's your day going? And she just kind of looked wistfully out the window and goes, it's gray and rainy and eh, it's not going to be a very good day. Oh. And, I, and her mom, you know, <laughs> the eternal optimist driving the car up front goes, I could hear her say, but Thea, yesterday was bright and sunshiny and a beautiful day. She goes, yeah, but not so much today. For mm. <laughs> Eeyore. Oh, wow. Oh. All right. Well, Eeyore, go back to bed or yeah. something. I don't know. <laughs> and the little ones are still over in the corner going, Brad Pop, Brad Pop, my turn, my turn. Yeah. You know, so anyway, yeah, they're mm. they're adorable. Oh. And 
daily there are things to report. So <laughs> they call you Brad Paw. Brad Paw. Yes. I love that Brad very Paw. much. Isn't that cool. That is, that is fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much liking it. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's the report from Lake Wobegon. <laughs> so my uh, my children, all all three of my children at different stages, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, somewhere in there, as their vocabulary is expanding, they pick one word and fixate on that one mm. word. Last year, Jamie was fixated on disgusting. And so she would she would describe everything as that that's really disgusting <laughs> and would extend it out like that. Now now amazingly is is the word that she's fixated on. Oh, and so um dinner last night, um there was something that was I there was something about this is amazingly hot. I don't like it. <laughs> um, and so then we cooled down, and then she was fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is amazingly taking too much time. Well, I'm sorry, child. Yeah. So it's <laughs> so kind of fun. I just, Marissa, just so you know that they've done some biblical research, mm-hmm. and they have determined that when Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac, that Isaac would have been twelve. Yes. Because had he been 13, it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, <laughs> not a problem, Lord. Where do you, where do you oh, want no. him? Now that we've gotten our, our Brad Pod joke for the day, Here we go. <laughs> we are, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. We are looking at just a few short verses and then looking at, at some potential teaching points. And so I'll go ahead and read the passage and we'll dive in. Paul writes in Philippians 2.9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm-hmm. So as we look at just those few short verses, obviously it's talking about Jesus. It's talking mm-hmm. after uh, on the second half of, of the passage where we read that Jesus humbled himself. He emptied himself of or set aside that, that sense of, of him being God in the flesh. He, he gave that up to become a human and to walk as a human, and then he allowed himself to die. And then we read here that he... He rose from the dead, and God exalted him because of his obedience in that mission. And so as we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, I thought I had a copy, but I don't have a copy here. I've got it if you need it. Okay. <laughs> as we're looking at that, and we're looking at this this portion of the Apostles' Creed where, where Jesus ascended into heaven, mm-hmm. and he's at the right hand of the Father, judging the living and the dead, we're asking the question, who is Jesus, and why does it matter that Jesus ascended, and he's, he's a judge, and what does all that mean? So with that, Marissa, what stands out from the text? What, <laughs> yeah, so, what, what jumps out at you? So you have these, and we talked about the descent last week, and you have this very um, clear stair step of Jesus' life going down and then ascending back up in both the Apostles' Creed and Philippians 9, or I'm sorry, Philippians 2. So last week as we talked about the descent, now we have the ascent. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. And we have these these promises of God's presence through our descent and his promise of rescue at our rising throughout uh, both the Apostles' Creed, throughout the life of Jesus, throughout the history of humanity. Um, in the Hebrew scriptures, we have these waves of chaos water at creation, these rises and falls. 
And it's, that's our story. And God is hovering always over that chaos, ordering that chaos, covering us with his peace. So we see these patterns in Joseph. We see them in Moses. We see them in Jonah. We see them in the Exodus, always going down into Egypt or going away from Jerusalem, going away from the promises of God. And that time of seemingly moving away from God actually ultimately ends up in an opportunity to be part of um, a miraculous rescue, either God rescuing us, lifting up uh, his people towards the promised land, or giving us the opportunity to rescue others. So we see that pattern, too, in the childhood of Jesus, in the childhood narrative that's in Matthew 2, where Joseph is um, led um, by an angel of the Lord to flee and go down into Egypt and with his small family in order to escape Herod. And then when it was safe, an angel again appeared to Joseph and said, get up. And that word in the Aramaic would have been aliyah. And that is a concept that, again, talks about that rise and that fall. So that call to get up that Joseph heard in Aramaic, that phrase aliyah, would have been um, to, uh, to rise up, to spiritually obey um, God and, and let them know that it's time to be rescued again. And that physical movement towards Nazareth, towards Jerusalem, um, became not just a time of rescue for Joseph's little family, but a fulfillment of every promise made in every rise and fall throughout history. That, that beginning with the first descent into the garden, God has always been with us in this caring presence throughout our suffering. And now it was time for all creation to ascend and be reconciled and be made new. It was time for all of creation's rescue. So we have this pattern of Christ descending to earth in the incarnation, and that continued into his descent as he experienced betrayal and heartbreak and just all the daily indignities of being human. Uh, you know, I think about all the, the noble ways that Jesus was humbled um, and that he was a servant and, and he spent time with the marginalized and he washed feet. But there was also the, just the indignities of being human, like the stomach flu and daily mm-hmm. hygiene. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when I think about the divine, all-powerful, holy, righteous God you know, um, bending down low to trim his toenails. That is so, I mean, it's almost uh, mind-numbingly humbling to think about that, Mm -hmm. not just in in bending low to lift us up, but just that solidarity and that continuing to descend. um, Then he embraced humiliation and death on the cross and transformed that humiliation into humility. But every indignity he suffered, every uh, moment that he was humbled, was a willing display that God loves us. And uh, just to these incomprehensible levels, um, he had a desire to be reconciled with us. Mm -hmm. So I think of James Mm -hmm. 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Um, We are called to that same humility, um, that same kind of upside down kingdom of God thinking that in bending low, we will be lifted up. Yes, We fall in order to rise. Um, Our descent uh, causes our ascension. So it just gives me a feeling that, um, you know, when the world is bringing us down low, um, look for ways to turn those times of humiliation into times of humility. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That we all have tiny embarrassments and, and huge, you know, life can really bring us down low sometimes. But how is God working for our rescue? How, we can, how can we turn that? And maybe the place where we find ourselves is exactly where we need to be in order to rescue others. Mm -hmm. So that can Mm -hmm. be something that we discuss in our community groups. And I I would even piggyback off that because there's something about this passage. Look at the, 
looking at the greater context of Philippians, uh, Paul is in in the broad scope of his letter. He's he's talking about finding joy and contentment in, in the middle of whatever you're walking through. Mm-hmm. He's looking at the example of several individuals. Right after this passage, he looks at Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of people. He holds himself up in Philippians three. But here, he's holding Jesus up as an mm. example, and Jesus suffered. We just read how Jesus suffered, how Jesus died on the cross, and then God flipped that so that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the mm-hmm. Father, it says in, in 10 and 11. I wonder if there's something about that in there for us, that, that in the midst of whatever we're walking through, if we're suffering through things, that God has something that he can do with that, not that he has purposed you to suffer and to walk through difficult circumstances, but that he can use those circumstances mm-hmm. to help other people know and experience the goodness of God if you keep walking through them and, and being missionally minded, even in that place if that's possible, to be missionally minded <laughs> in the middle of suffering or, or, or struggling through some difficulties. And so maybe you can ask that question, what would it look like to think about how other people could find Jesus while you're walking through difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a very intentional way of thinking. It's not natural to us. Not at all, (laughs) no. (laughs) So there's a couple of points worth discussing in your community group. Um, Kind of an interesting thing in in the world of of scholarship, there's there's a lot of ink that has been spilled. Paul writes, you know, the NIV says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Um, The the way the Greek is worded, it's, it's a... A combination of two words together, where, where Paul says, "God highly exalted." Hmm. What what do you think that word means? What what is that all about? The highly exalted, yes, specifically. Um, well, in my view, which I might not have read the same scholarship as you, so I'm not sure where you're leading to. But um, Jesus' ascent into heaven and being highly exalted shows that God will make all things right again. Mm-hmm. That uh, God has victory over the chaos of the world. Mm-hmm. So anytime things feel chaotic and broken and just not right, we can trust in God's justice to ultimately bring things back into order and bring things back into the way they ought to be. Jesus, from the moment of creation and before that, um, was highly exalted. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. was uh, his rightful place was beside the Father. Yes. Um, so that that lifting him back up is an ordering of the chaos. Yes. And so the same is true in our own lives. When we're walking through whatever we're walking through, God will establish us and make us, as as Paul writes in in Romans 8, more than mm-hmm. conquerors, that, that he'll do something in us and through us if we lean into him and, and walk with him in the middle of whatever we're going through. He's going to keep things going. He'll establish his justice and his mm-hmm. peace. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. You got... Oh, no, go ahead. No, okay. So... <laughs> Um, verse 11. I'm jumping around a little bit here, but that's okay. Um, And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, (laughs) yes. So what do you think that's about? Is that, is this, is Paul talking about universal salvation? I'm going to throw some big, big bombs out there, maybe for some people that would wrestle with that. Other people may not even think about that at all, but... Is this about universal salvation? Is this something about a cause and effect? What, what's going on at, at this last verse? Well, this brings us to the throne room that we see in Revelation, right, where mm-hmm. all nations, all kings are, are unified in their, uh, their worship of God. Mm-hmm. Every knee shall bow. Um, 
it, I think that it's not as much a statement of universal salvation as just the universal supremacy of Jesus's lordship. So in the first pr- profession that we have in the creed uh, that Jesus is our Lord, you know, that's a very pointed mm-hmm. remark. It's not mm-hmm. just that Jesus is my Lord. It's not just a personal thing. This is a universal cosmic lordship mm-hmm. um, and and over all of creation. Um, so that every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that is that is the old, that is the 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 end game, if you will. Yes, this is why we've been created, and this is the ultimate um, destination of humanity is is to be um, in worship of God. Yes, absolutely. Now, kind of an interesting side note on that. So I threw out universal salvation or universal appeal. I, you know, there's a couple of different phrases you could look at with that. I. I at the end of the day, God is pulling all of humanity towards an end, and every knee will acknowledge that that Jesus is Lord. Every single person mm-hmm. will confess that Jesus is Lord at, at one point or another point um, in the eschaton. That's that's part of God's plan. If you look at Revelation, you can see that with God drawing people towards that end. Salvation is available for everyone. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, only those who accept Jesus as Lord will find salvation. But there's something in here even about the confession of Jesus that suffering invites people to find Jesus where they are in the middle of that. Even our suffering mm. invites other people to find Jesus as we're walking through difficulties. And and I read one scholar, there's a, a book called Congregational Evangelism in Philippians, mm. where, where the author is actually talking about how just as the early church confessed Jesus as Lord and used that not only as a tool for just simply admitting to each other, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but also as an evangelistic invitation for other people to admit Jesus is the Lord of your life. Jesus mm-hmm. is Yahweh. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he came for you and for me and for us collectively to know and experience and encounter God and have a restored relationship with him in the middle of following Jesus's mission. Jesus's mission was to go to the cross, was to die, was to raise from the dead, God exalted him so that other people could confess Jesus as Lord. Maybe there's something in there in following Jesus' example as we live out our mission, whether we're suffering or not suffering, other people will see us walking through or walking through, and they too will join mm-hmm. us in saying, Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Yeah, the ascension, you just have to remember, is about rescue. Yes. So uh, the the judgment of God that we see, and he will come to judge the living and the dead, um, that could seem threatening. It could be something that causes people fear, but I don't think we're meant to think of it that way. Um, It says that, uh, you know, he was ascended so that he could sit at the right hand of the Father, Mm -hmm. which is his rightful place. It's that exalting of him again. But it's not just a place of honor. You know, we remember James and John arguing about who would sit at the right hand of of Jesus, Mm -hmm. and they kind of didn't understand the full breadth of what that meant, Um, that it's not just a place of honor, but it's a place of suffering. And it's also a place of mediation and intercession. So we mm-hmm. talked extensively in Hebrews about Jesus being our better high priest, about how um, when we are sitting in the throne room of God, we have, um, you know, it's incredibly intimidating. We have a full understanding that we've completely fallen short of his standard of holiness. Mm-hmm. But we have the most capable and well-connected of, of uh, mediators, of attorneys. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the presence of Jesus at the right hand of God also means that we have someone who looks like us in the jury box, which means so much. It's so comforting and hopeful 
to to know that we have someone who completely understands the not just the breadth of our brokenness, but has compassion for us and mercy for us and has been where we've been. So we're represented in that judgment room by our, our high priest, by our mediator, by our friend, by mm-hmm. our big brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that that should be something that gives us a great deal of hope. Um, so when we read and when we profess that Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead, it shouldn't be felt as a threat for us. That uh, that when we see that it's him that will judge us, it should give us, uh, you know, it's already shown, he's already shown that he's come to our rescue. Yes. Uh, it's already, He's already shown that he's going to lift up all who call upon his name, that yes. his righteousness will cover over us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Darren has uh, talked several times in sermons about Judgment Day. You know, it's kind of that feeling of just wait till your dad gets home. You know, believers will be judged. Unbelievers will be judged. His judgment will cover all creation. Um, so there's there's that fear of a punishment to come. But what if we change the tone of wait till your dad comes home? Mm-hmm. So that instead of worrying about a spanking or a punishment or, or uh, you know, even a look of disappointment, you know, we hear uh, Jesus's words, I have not, I didn't know you, yeah. um, and how much shame that feels and how unbearable that feels. But if, what if we have the kind of relationship with our father through Jesus that it becomes this hopeful promise of being reunited with our dad and just think about... Uh, you know, just wait till your dad comes home and you can run and jump into his arms and giggle and just enjoy being in his presence and enjoy, you know, an evening spent with your dad, which, Mm -hmm. you know, in Mm -hmm. heaven looks like worship in the throne room. At our house, it looks like playing Zelda, (laughs) but, but (laughs) but the joy is still there. It's the promise we have because Jesus, our high priest, our mediator, our friend is at God's right hand. Mm. And when we look at, uh, evangelism, um, we should want to bring all people to that same yes. unity with the Father. Yes. So I think that um, there's so much promise of justice in these words, both in Philippians and in the Creed, that we have a God that cares about justice, that's mm-hmm. going to make things right, mm-hmm. that we don't have to worry about justice because he's going to take care of it for us. And I think of, of you know siblings and um, how... Uh, you know, you can kind of be hopeful that your ch- that your sibling is going to get what they deserve, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it's a younger sibling that's just annoying you, or it's an older <laughs> sibling that may be bullying right, you or right. treating you unkindly. And to to think of the promise of your dad coming home, where he will have vengeance on your behalf, where he will enact justice on your behalf, is factual, but is that feeling of kind of enjoying the hope of vengeance, is that Christ-like? So Christ mm-hmm. calls us to, instead of hoping for the judgment of other people to end in vengeance, that we should cultivate an attitude where we hope that all will be reunited with God in mm-hmm. a loving way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that should really drive how we look at those who wrong us and how we look at evangelism. That, that that sense of restoration you, mm-hmm. you said restored a few times or you know Paul talks about in second um, Corinthians 5 the the ministry of reconciliation that, that all believers have been invited into to plead on God's behalf be reconciled to mm-hmm. God that there's something about that for everyone um, is there anything else that you've got in the text that stands out at you that you would say, hey, as a community group, you should really discuss this? Yeah, yeah. I think just just if you can hit that home, that, that judgment day isn't a time of fear for us as believers, mm-hmm. but it's a time um, where uh, 
you know, we can have confidence that Jesus has covered over our sins, um, that, uh, that we can, um, uh, Romans 8 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So think about and flip that fear of judgment into an, a, a, just a, a hope for reconciliation with God. Brad, do you have anything that you want to add to the conversation? You guys have covered it. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> I think there's a lot of great content in just these few short verses that are worth discussing as a community group. And so I pray that you guys have a fabulous time diving into some theologically rich few verses. Mm. Now, as we prepare to close, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God cause his face to shine upon you, and may God grant you peace both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you.